Welcome to Antioch Raleigh's weekly online sermon. We hope that you are encouraged by this word. For more information on Antioch Raleigh or access to our other online sermons, visit us at AntiochRaleigh.com. I think Annie was going to uh, make one more announcement, but I, uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and announce it. Starting next, I think it's a week from Monday, just trying to get you anticipating um, this event. Many of us are going to be participating in a three days of fasting and prayer for the nations. And so we're going to kick that off next Sunday but to talk about part of the whole series that we're in right now, which is if you're a devoted disciple of Jesus, you need to be developed. And we've already been through three stages or three units of being a devoted disciple. Maybe um, we can go ahead. So it's October 4th, 5th, and 6th. And for those of you that have never fasted, it is a spiritual discipline that um, may be one of the spiritual disciplines that will actually be transformative in your life if you've never done it. And you say, well, what are you fasting from? Anything you regularly intake. It is, a, it is a spiritual process. Fasting is a spiritual process that detaches you from all the material stuff around you, all the physical and seen stuff around you. And it, is a pro, it doesn't earn any favor with God. God doesn't like you more. He doesn't love you more. What it does, it's about you learning how to govern your own soul so that you begin to center yourself on the kingdom of heaven and away from your appetites and your desires. It is a process that God gives grace to, and in that moment, often very profound things begin to happen in your life. So I want to invite you to that. I hope I did a good job in Tell, uh, no, for that announcement. All right. Please join any of us and all of us if you can. Um, and if you have some sort of restrictions, we understand, especially pregnant moms. You've got to feed two. Okay. Um, I told this to Elizabeth, who is our worship pastor. I said, you know, Elizabeth, I, I know you're our worship pastor. And that's really your role, but you need to understand something. I feel, and, and I, I'm, I'm only sharing this because I was reminded as we were worshiping this morning, that my job primarily is to lead God's people continuously into worship. And hopefully when we explore the Word of God, it provokes worship. And if there's any prayer, I'd like for us to all stand up. I'd like you to pray for me as I pray for you. Grab a hand if you feel comfortable grabbing a hand. Um, I don't have a hand to grab, so I'll just grab the Lord's hand. Lord, we do worship you. We want to join the angels. We want to be part of that choir that says hallelujah, the king of the earth has come. 
Lord, we ask for your presence this morning in a way that becomes tangible for everyone in great need. And Lord, we thank you that your presence pervades this place regardless of our sense of your presence. And Lord, we want to continue to worship you in one of the most powerful concepts that you uttered out of your mouth about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the heavens that is coming to the earth and is even now here. Bless the hearers and their ears and my mouth that I might speak what you want spoken this morning. Amen. You may be seated. I uh, am going to, this morning, you know, we're going to continue our series, A Life of Pilgrimage. And as I was praying about exactly what to speak, uh, looking for a capital city, looking for a capital city. Uh, A capital city is the seat of government in any nation or any state or any province. It is the place where government issues from. And if there is one subject matter that I would say I was probably in my, I had been walking with the Lord for at least 20, 25 years, it was almost like discovering a a lodestone of gold that was right in front of me, but I had never been made aware of it. And that was the concept of the kingdom of God. And if you've been raised in any kind of environment of Christianity, you have, particularly the more liturgical churches, every week we pray this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It... it, totally escaped me. I didn't have really a clue what that meant, and I didn't give it much consideration. And I really believed in the God of the Bible, and I believed in the Scripture, and I believed in personal salvation, and I believed in the things of the Spirit, and I believed in the body of Christ, and I believed in all those things, but I did not understand the what's we could call the meta-narrative, the big story. And last week, we kind of, or two weeks ago, we talked a little bit about how Frodo and Sam Wise were ascending a place, and they, they were in the midst of this adventure they'd started. And Sam Wise looked at him and said, uh, Mr. Frodo, I, I wonder what kind of story we have fallen into. So, I want to start with one of the scriptures we covered. I'm going to, it's a different scripture. It's a different translation of the same scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to go back to that same scripture we discussed two weeks ago, but we're going to do it in a different translation, which is the message translation. And we're covering verses 8 through 10. By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel to an unknown place that would become his home. When he left, he had no idea where he was going. 
Abraham was walking off of the map. By an act of faith, he lived in a country promised him. Lived. Now, here's the interesting thing. Even though it was promised to him, here's how he lived. He lived as a stranger camping in tents. Isaac and Jacob did the, the same thing. Living under the same promise. Abraham did it by keeping his eye Look at, now look, on an unseen city with real eternal foundations. A city designed and built by God. Another way you could say it is architectural plans made by God. And he was also the general contractor. All right, we're going to skip down. This is all still in the same context because, you know, in the Bible, there are no chapter breaks. There's no chapter 12 in Hebrews. There's just a continuing thought. And we're going to skip down, and we're going to look at verse 25 of chapter 12. And it says, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews has said, look, all of these events that have troubles all these hardships that are surrounding you, you know what they are. They're the discipline of the Lord. And, and it's not punishment. He's not punishing you. He's disciplining you. And he's disciplining you through the hardships that you encounter in this world. You know, it's a really amazing. Abraham got this incredible promise from God that he was going to be a people when there was no people. He was, by the way, you know how old he was when he, when he started walking off the map? years old. Can I just say this to all of us? It's almost never too late. No matter where you are to start walking off the map in your own life. You say, well, my life's been boring so far. Well, get rid of your map. All right, but, so that's a little bit of a context. So li listen to this. So don't turn a deaf ear to these gracious words. If those who ignored early warnings didn't get away with it, what will happen to us if we turn our backs on the heavenly warnings? His voice, that time at Mount Sinai, he's talking about Mount Sinai, shook the earth to its foundations. This time he told us this quite plainly. He's going to rock the heavens. I like that. One last shaking from the top to the bottom, stem to stern, the phrase, one last shaking, means a thorough house cleaning, getting rid of all the historical and religious junk so that the unshakable essentials stand clear and uncluttered. Do you see what we've got? An unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to be burned. He won't quit until it's all cleansed. God is fire. A lot of us have heard that God is a consuming fire. I like Eugene's translation right there. All right, I'm going to do one more, one of my favorite verses. 
It's been a verse that uh, I've never, even when I was a young believer, I loved this chapter and I didn't even understand what it was saying. And only in the last several years have I begun to get a little bit. So we're going to skip around. This is a New Living Translation. We're going to look at just a few of the verses. How great is the Lord, verse 1. This is Psalm 48. How deserving of praise in the city of our God, which sits in his holy mountain. It is high and magnificent. The whole world, the whole earth rejoices to see it. Mount Zion, the holy mountain, is the city of the great king. Read in that capital city of the great king. The kings of the earth joined forces and advanced against the city. The rest of those verses I'm skipping is it didn't turn out well for them. We had heard of the city's glory, but now we've seen it ourselves. The city of the Lord of heaven's armies. Sounds like a really powerful city, doesn't it? It's the city of our God. He will make it safe forever. Think about that. I mean, literally, that's what it says. Think about that. Go inspect the city of Jerusalem. Walk around. Count the many towers. Take notes of the fortified walls and tour all the citadels that you may describe them to future generations. For that is what God is like. He is our God forever and ever, and he will guide us until we die. One last, one couple more verses. Actually, just one more verse for now. The time has come, Jesus said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. That, that statement was repeated in, all, in three of the gospel stories. And I'm going to give you the Jellicorse translation of that. One of the things I'm trying to model for you is sometimes it's really good for you to take a scripture verse and write it in your own words. Just write it in your own words. You don't have to be a Greek scholar to do that. You have to be a listener. Jesus said, all the foundational work has been done. And the reign of God's royal kingdom is now accessible to everyone. Reevaluate your plans for living and base your life on this remarkable new opportunity. That's a Jellicorse translation. We have been given a call for us to reconsider how we've been approaching our lives. In light of the fact that we now, in the presence of Jesus, have the option of living within the surrounding movement of God and His eternal purpose, taking our life into His life and His life into our life. We are now presented a proposal to replace the present world order with God's order, which is called the kingdom of God. As your pastor of this morning, I want to just say one thing to you. I am like a lady who's got 60 pounds of dough, and I'm going to put a, slip a little leaven into that pound of the 60 pounds of dough so that it leavens the whole lump. 
Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And a lady takes 60 pounds of dough. She puts a little in it, and it leavens the whole dough. That's the parable. That was it. It was a one-verse parable. It's one of the shortest parables in all the Bible. And when the Bible says something in a very short way, sometimes it's like an exclamation mark. So I'm going to talk to your hearts and maybe your heads, but really your hearts. I want to talk to both, but I just want you to marinate in my objective this morning is that there's something inside you that makes you want to start worshiping. So, uh, you know, modern man has learned how to split atoms and unravel the DNA. Uh, never has humanity known, known more about the cosmos. I mean, right now the Voyager is 13 billion miles away from the Earth. It got launched in 1974. It's still sending back data. We know a lot about life, but we really don't know how to live. The whole earth is confused on how to actually live well. We have the microscopic, but we don't have the big picture. So we've been given an invitation to journey off the map. A few years ago, Brenda and I were in Italy, and one of our Airbnb hosts said, Look, I got a really kind of strange suggestion. Don't know if you guys will like this. He said, when you get to Tuscany, and we were going to Siena, this was in Florence. We'd been doing the, all the museums and all that stuff in Florence, Italy. He said, here's my recommendation. Get your car, leave the city, and head southwest, south. Tuscany surrounds Siena. It doesn't matter what direction you go. Just head in one direction. Don't worry about gravel roads. Just go and get lost, and you will discover some amazing things. And forget your GPS and forget your map. Now, you got to understand, for Brennan and me, that's like a red stake in front of a bulldog. I mean, we're like, yes, that's, that is exactly what we, we've done that before. In South Africa, we were among the baboons and maybe the Lions and tigers and bears and oh no, uh, just glad the car didn't run out. I mean, there's some of those that are a little too adrenaline laden, but we did that. And so we're, we're, we're traveling and we kind of hit this incredible plane. We're seeing these, you know, all those, those bushes that are in the uh, Van Gogh paintings, you know, all those things and all, all those picturesque uh, cities that are in all the marketing pieces. We were actually, we, I've seen that before. Well, no, you actually have never seen it before. You've seen the picture of it before. We were bumping into those paces all over Tuscany. It's, it's why they like to make chick flicks on Tuscany. I mean, it was, it was, that, it was actually that good, you know. And, and so we're, we're getting lost, and we're in this plane, and it's just beautiful. It's farmland. It's rolling, gently rolling. But you can see long distances. And then all of a sudden, we saw it. Right up there, out of the plane, was this city. I couldn't even say the name of it. I was like, what is this place? It's Monte Pulciano. And I'm probably slaughtering it for any Italians. 
Monte Pucciolano. I've never heard of it. You've probably never heard of it. Famous wines come out of there. I had to get to that city. I wanted to see that city. It, was, it is sitting 2,000 feet above the plain and just on a ridge line, sitting 2,000 feet. Walled city. I discovered it by accident while I was looking for something that I didn't know I was looking for. And I had to get off the map to do it. And so many of us, you know what a map really is? Map is a representation about a reality. The thing that God is inviting all of us into in our pilgrimage is there is a reality, but it's emerging here. But it's not fully realized here. That's why a lot of people talk about the kingdom of God in terms of already but not yet. It's, Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then he also said the kingdom of heaven doesn't come with signs to be observed. You know, it doesn't have Bono and Barack Obama and you know, the greatest, and, and LeBron James saying, hey man, the kingdom of God is here. It, it's not got a lot of fanfare. It doesn't have a lot of PR. It doesn't have famous people endorsing it. The kingdom of God comes in places hidden in the most marginalized places of the earth. That is the kingdom of God. And if you've ever felt marginalized, you're a candidate for the kingdom of God to invade your space. And for all of us, the kingdom of God is like a little leaven. Have, does, it, does anybody know what, how yeast works? Yeast gets deposited into something and changes it. And you can't even... It's like 60 pounds of wheat flour according to the parable of Jesus, somebody figured that out. That what Jesus' parrot was saying is 60 pounds of flour. Put just a little yeast and it causes the whole amount of bread to rise. Now, the kingdom of God is, a, is not an abstraction. It's not an ideal. It's not an idea. The kingdom of God is absolutely as materially real as could be possibly real, more so than anything you have. But it is not fully emerged in this earth. And I want to read you just something that uh, came out of some of my journaling and my thinking. Communicating God's infinite mind to our limited understanding has always been one of God's greatest challenges. He could, of course, reveal himself unbidden and unhidden, but the consequences might be catastrophic for us, his created fallen human creatures with our myriad of sin-soaked personalities. For as we encountered the unveiled and unlimited antiseptic holiness, purity, and goodness of the Lord, our infected souls might very well ignite into flames like a moth flying into a campfire. 
Therefore, out of infinite kindness and humility, the Lord reveals himself to us indirectly and often imperceptibly. God gathers up all our human relationships and uses each of them as metaphors to transmit some understanding of an aspect of his own character and life. So consequently, when we speak of king or kingdom, God makes use of expressions to us so that we can gain some understanding of his authority and his power. It can be said that the kingdom of God is the same as the royal reign of God. God is, the so- God is the sovereign potentate of the cosmos. Biblically, in the New Testament, God is revealed as the manifest authority of an inf- infinitely good, loving, and holy Father. The kingdom is His authority coming personally and materially in His own created space-time world through the person of Jesus Christ. Long ago, after humanity's insistence on being their own gods through the enticement of the serpent, God initiated a gentle, patient, yet determined endeavor to bring all of humanity into willing obedience to His order. Please note that God has never sought obedience from humanity by force. He wants conformity to his ways derived out of our enthusiastic response to his demonstrably, overwhelmingly persuasive love and nature. We're responders. We love him because he first loved us. By using this kingship metaphor, the scripture indicates that God has always been in absolute sovereign reign over the earth despite the planet's rebellion to him. There's never, nor will there ever be a time when he is not in charge. The scripture in various and sundry ways tells in the simplest terms God's ultimacy ultimacy and rulership over the cosmos. This is part of my worship this morning. He takes orders from no one. He was created by none. He is life. Therefore, he is self-existence. There's nothing in him that should be out of him. There's nothing out of him that should be in him. He remembers nothing because he's forgotten nothing. He learns nothing because there's nothing he does not know. He does not need to know because he holds all truths simultaneously. He is the eternal now. He can look at all human history and be in it at any moment in that history. He is the ultimate, his majesty, the king. There is none, nor will there ever be any king more preeminent. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. There can never be another. Let us never forget the stunning paradox. He is the king with unspeakable power and authority, yet by mysteriously nearly unfathomable choice, he stoops down to embrace each of us 
in loving humility unequaled in the universe. Paul said this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is named and invoked, not only in the present age, but the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Our ultimate allegiance is to the king and his kingdom. And don't ever forget that kingdom is going to consummate one day. And it will not be always pretty. Hand me that NIV Bible right there, if you don't mind, honey. Thank you. It says it better. I, I just, you know, this, this is one of the most amazing things about the Scripture is it's just so consistent throughout the Scripture. This is not like a little bitty idea. This is like a repeated, it's, you, you can throw a rock anywhere in the Bible and find this idea. Isaiah, I think that's after Psalms. And Isaiah 24 comes before Isaiah 48. Here we go. Now this is talking about the great day of the Lord. The day when the Lord comes on that final day to come to the earth and take over. He came as a lion, a lamb. He's coming as a lion. He's coming to eradicate all that is and make everything right. Everybody goes, why can't God just make everything right? Guess what? He's promised that day is coming. Until that day, his forbearance is now is what's in operation. In that day, the Lord will punish the powers in the heavens above and the kings on the earth below. They will be herded together like prisoners bound in a dungeon, they will be shut up in prison and will be punished. The moon will be ashamed and the, the, abashed and the sun ashamed. For the Almighty God will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and before the elders gloriously. You know, the sun and the moon, when the presence of God comes, will look like pale imitations compared to Him. I don't know, I just like to worship right now. So what are the implications of this? I had some notes. I had even had an outline. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, there's something about this kingdom that has kind of a dynamic that if you don't understand it, you don't understand the kingdom very well.
It's hard to find something that's unseen if all you have are natural eyes. Abraham was looking for an unseen city. That is an illogical statement. The Bible is full of those. If you don't understand biblical logic, which says that the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. (coughs) 2 Corinthians 4.18 We have to develop eyes that perceive what is really going on. And so I'm going to bring this down to a real practical level. I thought, you know, first of all, God has to build his kingdom inside of you before you see it on the outside of you. In fact, that is the way God works about everything. Religion wants to impose things on the outside to the inside, and Jesus always comes from the inside out. That's why he declared the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God does not arise out of externalities. It comes from internalities. And the inner life of the believer is where God builds what he's building. And unfortunately and tragically, sometimes the church has mostly been focused on externalities and trying to get conformity instead of transformity. And so that's what we are constantly talking about here, is being transformed on the inside of yourself. Well, that hidden life, one of the things he was looking for was a foundation, a city whose found, who, who was foundational, whose foundations were built by God, I looked at a set of, I, I've been a, I'd been a builder much of my career, and this is really fascinating. Um, when people go to Southern Living Magazine to look at house plans, nobody is looking for the foundation plans. I mean, nobody. They want to see the finished product. They want to see what it looks like. And that's normal. I, I get that. Do you know what the first thing a builder looks at? The foundation plans. God is an architect and he's a builder and he's the designer of this thing. And he's doing it on the inside of you and he knows what he's doing and most of the time none of us really enjoy the foundational process. We all want to go, I want to see the pretty picture with the shrubs out front and the installed lawn. And me sipping on the front porch in our rocking chair. That's what we all want. And God goes, no, there's a lot of, there's a lot of subterranean work that needs to t- transpire in your life. And that's what foundations are. And by the way, uh, Ben has paid me to say this. If you uh, need some foundations in your life, join ADS, which starts... Let me, let me just say one thing about finding this city. It, it starts out, I mean, what, what did the verse say? By an act of faith, Abraham said yes to God's call to travel. Can I just say, some of you have not acted in faith to build your foundations. You go, ah, you know, I've been in church all my life. I've been to this church. 
One other thing, let me, let me kind of encourage you in a way. Uh, Brent and I have taught in discipleship schools for years. We've pastored. We'd, when we came to Antioch, we'd been leading a, a, a local church, house church movement here in the Triangle area for 15 years, 20 years. Uh, going on t- 20 years. And when Colby Lehman said, well, you know, I really, would you be willing, could you kind of think about maybe sort of, I know you've got a lot of experience, could you go and, and do the ADS thing? I'd already had some seminary, I'm a seminary dropout, so, you know, that didn't really qualify. But, you know, I said yes. You know why? Because I know what continuing education is all about. And I loved ADS. Did I learn a whole bunch of things? Eh, no, but you know what I've realized? I've forgotten some things I wasn't doing anymore, and I, I needed those things tra- implanted. So, Ben, pay me later. with your, You got your PSA on that? ADS, Antioch Discipleship School. I mean, here's a good example. You want to, faith acts. I, there, there's a whole sermon there. We don't have time for it. But can I just say this? If you have faith, show me how you do it. I mean, how did Noah demonstrate his faith? He started building an ark. There was no such thing as a rain cloud before Noah started building the ark. He hadn't seen one because the waters of the earth would spring up from the ground, not from the heavens. We had Carolina blue skies all the time, just the way it's been the last three days. That was it. He had to do something that he'd never seen before. That's what faith does. It acts even when it doesn't know where it's going. It walks off the map. It goes, I, I don't understand what you're doing, God, but I understand you and I trust your sovereign providence in my life. I trust you to take care of me even when it doesn't look like you're taking care of me. Immediately after he got this wonderful uh, word to go into... Uh, this promised land, a famine hit. And he had to go down to Egypt to find food. It's kind of like, wait a minute, God hates me. No, he doesn't hate you. Well, God's punishing me. No, God's not punishing me. He's trying to get all those world systems, those other false kingdoms out of you. The false kingdoms have set up all kinds of construction projects in your life and you don't even know it. There is a major deconstruction before there's any construction in any job site. I don't care what that job site is. It could be just the removal of the trees and the roots and the topsoil and the bad soil and the, raw, and the wrong rocks and the wrong soil. It could be the demolition of old, tired buildings. Whatever it is, God is, is more interested stood in the deconstructing before he starts constructing because he knows if the foundation is not properly laid, the building won't stand. 
which is one of the major problems at the end of the age because it says, because of many's love growing cold, most will fall away. I don't want anybody in this crowd to be one of those people. So, every place will be shaken except one. What's that one place? That is the kingdom of God. So, what are the places that are going to get shaken? And this is kind of a little practical thing I want to hit on. All the political systems are going to be shaken. Government by the people, for the people, of the people will be shaken. Because it is not the kingdom of God. Communism will be shaken. Socialism will be shaken. Monarchies will be shaken. Every political system will be shaken. And by the way, an interesting verse in the scripture says this. Um, Mark 18, 15. And he was giving orders to them. That's the New American Standard version of this. He was giving orders to them, saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Notice I've started, I've, I said, well, there's a leaven of the kingdom, but there's also other leavens. How, do leaven, how is, is leaven easily detected? It's microscopic. It almost... And it happens without your awareness. It causes, it's an leavening agent that causes a reaction in you that you don't even know about. And so one of the things that happens is unexamined leaven states in your soul cause all kinds of eruptions and responses and reactions that frankly are not in line with the kingdom response, reaction, and responses. And unless you begin to detect those things in your life, you will fall victim to the leaven of Herod and the Herod, uh, leaven of the Pharisees. Now, what are those two leavens probably represent? Well, I'm going to quickly give you a couple of ideas. Political leaven. There's almost no political system that exists in the earth that doesn't exist through the power of division. The whole goal of political systems is to get more people for them than you have with you, 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 their opponents. I don't care if it's democracy. I don't care if it's a totalitarianism. They just have more guns. They don't have more votes. But it's the same. It's a, it's a desire to control. Now, did you know that? I, you were raised as Americans. You were raised to believe that the republic was filled with virtue. I, you know, it's a better system than all the other systems, except when it's not. <laughs> but see, I don't have my investment in my emotions or my spiritual capital in the, in the capital of Washington, D.C. or Raleigh, North Carolina. My investment is in another city. My capital is another capital. And I am assigned to begin to be an ambassador for that dominating, unbelievably powerful kingdom that does so without force, but with love. 
Well, the problem is we, we have so much leaven in our... And the other part of, of, of the leaven of the Herod's, Herod's leaven is competition. And so we have everybody breaking off. And you say, well, Steve, practically, how does it, so are you telling me how to vote? No, I'm not. I'm telling you, I've already made my vote, and my vote was to surrender to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the, vote, that's the only vote that actually counts in life. Now, there's another leaven, and it's the leaven of the religious systems. Oh boy, I'm going to step on some toes here. I'm going to step on my own toes. Will Durant, the famous uh, uh, historian that wrote the uh, Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire, said this. The institutional church has killed two kinds of people. Those who do not believe in the teachings of Jesus and those that do. There's a really great story in it. uh, In John chapter 9, the blind man in the temple is healed. Jesus heals him. The reaction of the Pharisees is that Jesus did it on a Sunday, a Sabbath. Our Sunday, their Saturday. He did it on a Sabbath, and they were outraged that he would violate their understanding of what was supposed to happen on the Sabbath. And they found this guy, and they were like inquisitors. They had interest whatsoever that at first they thought he was a fraud they found his parents turns out his parents said hey he was born blind talk to him we don't know what happened because we don't want to get thrown out of the religious system because we know that's how you guys work and so they came brought him back and they said look what uh what happened what happened to you he and, and let me just read you what he said They asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I told you already. And you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? (laughs) Now, this is full of meaning right here. First of all, religious spirits don't like to listen to people. They already have their mind made up. This really offends us because we really think we know what we're talking about when we talk to everybody. We must never forget that humility is the absolute cardinal rule of the kingdom of God. No matter who we're talking to, no matter who in haughtiness or pride is responding to us in haughtiness and pride, we have to come in a totally opposite spirit knowing that we, like them, were beggars And we were blind, and so are they. The other interesting comment here is disciples ask repeated questions because they are listening. I I, I need to say something, and I, you know, I need to 
somebody that's a real pastoral type to help me pastor this. Because I, I, I might just step on a few toes, but I, I don't mean to, but I, I really, um, I, if, you, if you need your toes stepped on, fine. There's a, there's a phrase that I began to hear in the last 10 years a lot. I just need to be heard. You're not listening to me. It's, it's kind of a, a generational thing. And, you know, it's kind of like, we just need to be heard. Now, can I just tell you, I, I get the fact that maybe there's a, a whole segment of our culture that have, have not been listened to by their moms and dads. I get that. But the command of the Scripture is Shammai, Israel, Adonai Eloheinu. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The first word is you don't need to be heard, you need to listen. Disciples are listeners. They're listening for the voice of God everywhere they go, even through others that they're talking to. I love exercising the hearing ear. I love listening to my critics because I think I might hear the Lord. There is this place in America right now, we don't want to listen to anybody. And the polarization of every political Herod spirit and all the religious spirits out there are causing division and competition. And nobody's paying attention and nobody's listening. Well, you say, what does that have to do with this journey? It's hard to find the city unless you're listening. It's hard to be a, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you really do have to become a spiritual listener. And it means that we have to clothe ourselves in humility. And here's the other hardship that you must encounter. God will probably put you next door to an atheist that hates God, especially people like us. And he's going to go, love that one into my kingdom. Or just love them and maybe they'll never come into the kingdom. How about that boss you have? How about that professor that is so unreasonable? How about the client that wants everything for free? <laughs> I got a few entrepreneurs in here. <laughs> you know, the whole world is filled with hardships. And, oh, Papa, you're training me to be like you. When men are evil and selfish and self-centered, I'm not trying to change them. I'm trying to change me. And when I get changed, guess what's going to happen to them? They're going to go, I've never met anybody. You are the weirdest human on the planet. But I like you. I'd like to be like you. <coughs> All right. How many want to be his disciples? Stand up. I want to be a disciple. I want to hear. And I don't want any less. This past year, both of those, I don't care if it's face masks or vaccines or Black Lives Matter or All Lives Matter or Democrats or Republicans or you name it. 
anything that could be a, a, a lightning rod, do you know what God has to say about all of that? My kingdom is coming and I will make everything right and I need you to get in alignment internally and quit trying to fix everything else and argue about it all. You go, well, I, I, that's our job. We're supposed to fix it. No, it's his job to fix it in you. And as you, as that internal kingdom begins to get manifested, it will be contagious. It will be a pandemic, a spiritual pandemic. All right. Lord Jesus, we pledge our fealty and our loyalty to you as the sole sovereign of the universe. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. There is none beside you. There is none other. We declare our loyalty to you and we ask that you would teach us all the places where the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of, the, of Herod and the governmental political spirit invades our life. And Lord, we repent. We turn away before the kingdom of heaven is at hand and we have an opportunity to embrace good news. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, we surrender all the known and the unknown recesses of our heart and our mind to be renewed so that we would be a people who look like Jesus. Amen. Now, I'm going to ask for, um, I want to I invite anyone who's never started the journey to walk off the map to do so. I'd like for the elders and some of the life group leaders, please come forward. If you have a sickness, I, one of the things I really want to, we believe in the prayer for the sick. Because Jesus believed in the prayer for the sick and he healed the sick and he told us to go do the same thing. I, I don't know why God does it, but he likes to tell us to do impossible things. Anybody here think you can heal? I can't heal a hangnail, but Jesus can. And he can heal a whole lot more than that. Maybe you have a distressing event in your life right now that's just overwhelming. Family conflict, unemployment, financial challenge. I don't care what it is. If you need prayer, my house will be called a house of prayer. We're, we're, we're going to pray for you. And, I, you know, I, I am not ashamed to get prayed for the same thing I got prayed for a week before. Pray and keep on praying. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Something about the leaven of self-sufficiency that has to get eradicated to the point where we all go, you know, there's only one answer to my situation, and that's the Lord. That's sometimes why we have to keep praying, because we keep trying to figure out how to do this on our own. And the Lord goes, okay, I'll let you do it. So, I don't know who that was for, but that was free. Okay. God bless you. May the word of the Lord dwell in your heart richly.